Dogcast Radio. If you like dogs, wherever you are in the world, we're the show for you. Hello and welcome to episode 117 of Dogcast Radio. In this episode, we hear from Nikki Mustaki about the novel scheme for food raising that she set up. So I thought, what if I could do something where people could participate, but all, but not have to spend any of their money? Plus, we have the Dogcast Radio news, and I'll be thinking about the best way to treat a dog like a dog. But before all that, we have an interview about some research being done at the University of Liverpool's Small Animal Teaching Hospital. To find out all about the research, I talked to canine orthopaedic clinical research assistant Ben Walton. I think the first thing to say is that uh, you know osteoarthritis is a, a very common occurrence in dogs, although it's not re- widely recognised by owners. Um, but a study in America suggested that at least 20% of all dogs over the age of one suffer with osteoarthritis. And when you get to dogs that are over the age of eight, the percentage is much, much, much higher, obviously. And a a lot of the symptoms and signs can be very vague and are very frequently just put down to old age. You know, uh, typically the dog is slowing down. Uh, or is less willing to go for walks or wants to walk uh, less far. Mm. Uh, But these dogs are are quite frequently painful uh, as well. So I think osteoarthritis is a very underdiagnosed problem in dogs uh, and is probably a a very significant source of uh, suffering for them and reduced quality of life. I think it's just basically because a a lack of awareness that dogs even get arthritis uh, and b the fact that the signs are very very vague uh, and owners very frequently when we see them and and question them about how the dog is is doing an arthritis they're very frequently uh, not aware that the dog is in pain because the dog doesn't vocalize it doesn't scream and it doesn't whine uh, but then so the scenario I put to them is how severe and acute would the pain have to be for yourself to vocalize involuntarily uh, and it would have to be pretty severe really and pretty acute and that's not the kind of, of pain that these dogs are suffering. No. So that's just a, bit of, a, a little bit of background really uh, on arthritis in dogs which I think is you know, sort of quite important to get out there. Yeah, yeah. In dogs, um, the first line treatment um, for osteoarthritis is a class of drugs called non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs. Mm-hmm. Okay, and, and we're talking about pharmaceuticals here. Clearly, there are other uh, options like cod liver oil, which is a very good option, and then the nutraceuticals like glucosamine and chondroitin, which are a bit more controversial, really, uh, whether they do much good or not. Mm-hmm. Um, but certainly, when you get to the stage where you are considering pharmaceuticals or you're considering drug therapy, then the first line is this class of drugs, non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs, or NSAIDs. Mm-hmm. Um, and these are very good anti-inflammatories, very good painkillers. Uh, classes, uh, examples of this class on the human market would be ibuprofen or diclofenac. Uh, although I would stress never to use a human NSAID in dogs. They have different enzyme systems than we do. They are not capable of metabolizing them at the same in the same way that we do. Uh, so the uh, potential for toxicity is much higher. Mm. Okay, um, but fortunately, 
um, for dogs, there are a significant number of licensed products in this country. Um, we're quite lucky in that respect. Um, and there is a huge uh, variety um, in sort of the way they work and the way they're administered. Or well, there is some variety, not a huge variety, but there is some variety in, in the way they're administered and the way they work. Some are liquids, some are tablets, um, and there are various sort of dosing intervals for them. And then there are various differences in the enzymes which they target specifically. Uh, but that, that's probably getting into the details a bit, a bit too much, really. Okay. The, the point really is that there's a number of these on the market, and some seem to work well for some dogs and not for others, etc. But what there's not a lot of information on is, uh, you know, which if there's any superiority amongst these drugs, if any of them are any better than any others. So that's one bit of basis for, for the research that we're performing. Um, the second bit is that uh, there is some controversy, I guess, at the moment in the human field uh, and in the veterinary field about the best way to use non-steroidals for arthritic pain. Should we uh, be basically titrating the dose to effect, so just using it when you're painful or when you think the dog is painful, or is there a good argument for giving them a fairly constant dose um, because there is a situation in the pain pathways whereby um, giving drugs on a more regular basis uh, might actually decrease the sensitivity to pain over time. So again, that, that, that's delving maybe a bit, a bit deeper into technicalities there, but it is quite sort of a, an interesting point and we don't know the answer to it. Yeah. So that, that's the second basis of the research that we're doing here. So ostensibly what we are doing is a uh, clinical trial comparing two NSAIDs, two commonly used licensed non-steroidal drugs, um, and, and we are basically doing a comparison. Now, uh, it is confidential uh, which drugs we are looking at. Mm -hmm. um, any participants, any owners who take part uh, will be fully aware of what drugs we're looking at and what drug their dog is receiving. It's not a blinded trial. Likewise, their primary care uh, vet will be informed uh, that their dog is on the trial and what drug it is receiving. So it, it's not a blinded trial, um, but in terms of outside those people directly involved with the trial, it is confidential. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, the... Other things, the other bits of research that we're getting out of this trial, because we're getting lots and lots uh, of things out of this trial, is uh, novel ways of measuring how dogs are doing with osteoarthritis. Mm. It's a very complicated disease. You know, some dogs will have a limp, other dogs won't have a limp, uh, but their mobility will be impaired nonetheless. You know, some dogs struggle getting upstairs, some dogs are very stiff and sore when it's wet and cold. You know, it, it's it's a different experience for every dog and every owner. So it's a very difficult disease to measure. As you say, because it goes um, undiagnosed anyway, it's very hard for the dog to turn around and say, oh, I'm feeling a bit better. Cause you, and if you can't tell you know, that much difference in his behaviour, it's really difficult to, to measure that, isn't it? It is, yeah. It's extremely difficult. So what we're, what we're looking at with this trial is various uh, ways of measuring the disease. Um, and we're coming at it from a number of angles. 
Um, our primary measure is we're using something called a force platform, which is just a, a, like a, a metal plate set into a, a low-level runway, and we walk the dog over it, and it measures how much force they put through each leg. So we can actually measure and quantify very, very accurately and very, very sensitively how much force the dog transfers to its leg when it's moving. And that's a really good measure. And that has been used lots and lots in, in arthritis trials and, and other orthopedic trials before. It's a pretty established way of doing things. But all it does is capture a limp and it only captures it on the day. Uh, and we know that osteoarthritis is a disease which waxes and wanes. So although it's very good and very sensitive and very accurate, it's probably not capturing the whole picture. So we are looking at various other measures. The other um, objective scientific measure that we're looking at uh, is a, a body-mounted or a collar-mounted, in this case, um, motion detector. Um, and this is a, a really cool little device. It's about the size of your watch. Um, they don't look much. They look like a pedometer, but they're about 20 times the price of a pedometer. Um, uh, and inside they have, uh, like, well, it's a piece of electric element which um, detects this uh, intensity of movement of the dog uh, and the duration of the movement of the dog. And what it gives us for every minute that this dog is, is wearing it, it gives us an activity count. It gives us a number. Uh, so for every minute uh, the, the, this is on the, the dog, we, we, we get this data. So what we end up with at the end of the trial is a big stream of numbers which we can then analyze and work out you know, uh, the activity levels of this dog. And, yeah. and that's really interesting. And these have, these have been used really just in preliminary studies in animals, but they have been used in studies of osteoarthritis in people. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that they're they're uh, a real interesting thing that we're doing with this trial. The the other uh, thing that we are looking at with this trial is um, owner based questionnaires. So um, these are uh, the, the the more sort of clinical name for them, if you like, uh, is metrology instruments because they're not just a questionnaire. They are basically a, a sequence of scored questions or scored phrases. Uh, and we get a we get a score at the end of it, which kind of aims to quantify uh, the osteoarthritis. The most famous, or probably the most uh, um, well known, if you like, uh, metrology instrument would probably be the APGAR system for measuring neonatal survivability mm -hmm. in, in babies. You know, when a baby's born, yeah. uh, every baby has this APGAR score, and you know, then by looking at a single number after rating four or five items you get an idea of how likely that baby is to survive. Well, these questionnaires are, are, are that type of instrument. So we're learning an awful lot about them uh, and, and about the, the whole construct of osteoarthritis altogether. Mm. So I've got into that maybe in a bit too much detail because that's what I'm interested in, really. Mm. That's my research interest, how we, how we measure uh, osteoarthritis. Yeah. No, it's, it's fascinating. It is, yeah, it is. It's really fascinating when you get into it. It's one of those things, the more you get into it, the more interesting it becomes, really. Yeah. What, what people might want to know, though, is the bare bones of, of the, um, the architecture of the trial, if you like. Mm. So I will come back to that. Um, like I said before, this is a, a direct comparison between two non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs. It is not blinded. Um, both us as the investigators and the owners, as the participants, know what drug their dog is receiving. Um, there is no placebo 
it's not a placebo-controlled trial. Like I say, this is a comparison trial. Um, so we, we were very, uh, when we were designing the study, uh, you know, we were very adamant there would be there would be no placebo because we don't think it is um, ethical or moral to deprive an osteoarthritic dog of, of um, effective pain relief. Mm. And uh, lastly, there is no experimental compound. We're not testing out some new untested drug. These are both drugs which are licensed in this country. They have been approved by the European Drug Agency. Um, uh, so, you know, there's, there's, there's nothing, um, nothing in its preliminary stages of investigation. These drugs are, are both out there. And these are drugs that you could very end up uh, very well end up having um, prescribed by your vet if you if you took your dog to the vet with with osteoarthritis. The trial itself then lasts for a total of fourteen weeks. Um, the dogs come in and they are examined and they have some blood tests uh, and various other um, sort of things. Not nothing invasive, um, but we just want to make sure that the the dog is suitable for the trial. And more importantly than that, that the trial is suitable for the dog. That, that you know, we, we think it's a, a safe and effective and mutually beneficial thing. If if we get through that stage, then what happens is we attach these activity monitors to the dog's collar, and we send the dog away without any of the non-steroidal drugs, but with a different type of painkiller, so that, that the owners have the ability to control their dog's pain. Uh, but what we're after there is collecting some baseline activity data for the dog. You know, how, how much is this, how active is this dog when it's not receiving non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs. Then they come in two weeks after that original screening visit, we call it. And at this first visit of the trial proper, if you like, is when they are randomly allocated to their drug. And that's the other important factor in the design of this trial. It is a randomized trial. Neither we nor the owner make a decision about what drug that dog receives. It is completely random. Mm. Okay. Uh, but I would stress that there is no inferior drug, or we don't think there is. You know, again, that's part of why we're doing this research. We might find at the end of it that one is better than the other. But at the moment, as far as we know, they are both um, of equivalent efficacy and safety. Mm. Okay. So that's when they start on the drug. They are on the drug then for 12 weeks, okay? And we see the dog halfway through at six weeks, and we see them at the end at 12 weeks. And at every single visit, we will download the data off their activity monitor. We will walk the dog over the force platform and measure how much force goes through each leg. And we will ask the owner to complete these three questionnaires. Uh, and from that, we get a, a clear picture over time of how osteoarthritis is affecting each animal. Mm. Uh, so that's how the, the, the trial is designed. We are allocating 50 dogs to each group. Uh, so we're recruiting 100 dogs altogether. So far, we are about halfway through. Uh, we're on target. You know, We started last July, and we aim to finish recruiting the dogs this July. Uh, so we're just about on target uh, for that. If anybody is interested in taking part in this trial, an important thing to you know really take note of is that it does involve four trips to our hospital, and we're based in Neston on the Wirral. So you need to be realistic, really, about how far you're willing to travel to, to take part in this trial. Mm. Uh, yeah, so, so, so that is a, another sort of important point, really. Yeah, but I guess if your dog is suffering, it's, it might well be worth taking part. 
Yeah, potentially. I mean, I think so. Um, I mean, obviously, like, like I say, I mean, in terms of what, what treatment the, the dogs can receive, these drugs can be prescribed by your own vet. So I think if you live up in Newcastle or you live down in Somerset, then you're going to be better off just going to your own vet. If you live, you know, within a, a distance that, that you're willing to commute, then the benefit of this trial is the level of investigation that is performed, uh, and it's all non-invasive. Um, but you know, you do get a very clear idea of what joints are affected and how badly. Uh, so there is that sort of level of assessment because we have a lot of time set aside to examine these dogs. If you go to your vet, you know, typically you'll have a 10 or a 15 minute consultation. You know, for the screening visit here, we set aside two hours. You know, it really is quite an in-depth um, uh, assessment there. Yeah. Uh, so so that, that's one benefit. And the other benefit, I guess, is that, you know, there is no cost to the owners for this. Um, you know, there is no cost for any of the investigations or tests that are performed, and there is no cost for the drugs that are prescribed for the duration of the trial period. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, that, that there is a significant benefit there because these are, you know, I suppose depending on, you know, what your perception is, these aren't cheap drugs. Um, you know, I think they're good value in terms of the relief that they can offer for dogs, but, you know, there's certainly, uh, you know, a significant cost associated with, with this treatment. So so that's a significant benefit, I guess, if, if you're in the area. Plus, you know, you're really helping us out. You know, you're helping us out with the, the research, um, you know, and, and from there, you know, the... Um, reciprocal benefits um, if reciprocal is the right word I don't think it is really uh, the, the, the ongoing benefits from this trial uh, are significant you know uh, mm. we're going to learn a lot more about uh, what drugs we should be using how we should be using them and as well as that we're going to be taking lessons from this for any future trials on arthritis on how we can measure disease and you know we also do a lot of, uh, off the back of this trial, we do a lot of teaching. You know, I do a lot of talking to um, other vets and physiother- animal physiotherapists um, about how to assess dogs with arthritis, you know, how we can measure the severity of the disease. So, you know, there is, um, we're very keen on disseminating any knowledge that we get from this trial. So, you know, by by getting involved as well as the benefits that you get for your dog and, and for yourself, then you know, then you are helping us out and, and the wider sort of veterinary and, and dog owning community. So yeah, you know, I'm I'm pretty passionate about the, the, the that we're trying to do a, a good thing here with this trial, and so far uh, it seems to be going very well, and we seem to be getting an awful lot out of it. Yeah, excellent. So you're still looking okay. to recruit till July. We'll be recruiting until yeah, sort of mid June, July kind of time. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So when will the trial actually be concluded and when can you begin to put all the results together? Well, it's a three-month trial, like I say, for each dog. And if we recruit our last dog, um, you know, at the end of June, then that is going to mean that we'll, we'll finish collecting our last little bit of data probably around about the end of September. I expect it will take us the best part of three months, really, to go through all the data and analyze it uh, and compile a report. Um, so I think, I think that we'll hopefully have the, the whole thing wrapped up by the end of this year. Yeah. So, and, and you know, there'll be various aspects of, of this trial will um, we'll go out into the, the, the sort of the public domain, if you like, and go out into the veterinary literature and things like that. 
Yeah. Uh, so that, so that, like I say, the knowledge that we gain benefits everyone. Mm-hmm. Can you comment okay. at all, uh, sort of, on the results you're seeing, whether you are seeing improvements, or can you not comment on that? Yes, I can. Mm-hmm. I can comment on that because you know it's. Um, like I say, these drugs are already licensed drugs, and and to become licensed, you know, you need to satisfy various criteria, and and just bringing it right down to basics, what what you need to be able to uh, prove as a drug company to get your product licensed is that the potential benefits of the drug, you know, significantly outweigh the the potential risks. Um, so we we knew before we started that all these drugs are beneficial to to osteoarthritic dogs, and that's that's definitely been borne out um, on the large part in the large in, a, in 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 the vast majority of the patients that we have thus far enrolled. I, I can't really think of any that have shown absolutely no improvement at all. Um, some dogs do improve more than others. Um, you know that that is the the nature of a the disease. Uh, itself, um, like I say, it's a hugely complex disease, osteoarthritis, and and some of I, th- I think it's fair to say that the for the most part the dysfunction and impairment that these dogs suffer is pain relief pain related. Some of it will also be functional. You know that the, these joints will not be functioning as they are designed to function. Uh, and you know all the drugs in the world aren't going to help that, and you know that's an experience that is borne out in human medicine as well, and that is exactly why you know joint replacements exist for humans and for dogs, uh, because drugs aren't going to help every animal. Mm. Um, there is also uh, there is also the issue that not all drugs suit all individuals equally. Um, and again, you know, that, that that's an experience that you hear a lot from from humans. You know, some people uh, with osteoarthritis will say, you know, ibuprofen is the drug for men, whereas other people will say ibuprofen doesn't touch my pain. I need to take diclofenac. You know, so the, there is a there is a, a variation as well in, in how each individual responds to, to each drug. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Is there it. a yeah, is there a website where people can find out more about this, or sort of how how do people apply? Yes, there is. Yeah, mm-hmm. so there is a lot more information on our website, and our website address is www.live.ac.uk forward slash dog hyphen arthritis at the end. The the live.ac.uk is just the, the university website. As opposed to any other bit of information which might be worth uh, you know, sort of mentioning at this stage is the inclusion criteria. Um, we are looking for dogs that are over one years of age, over 10 kilograms, and whose mobility is affected by arthritis. They don't necessarily have to have had a veterinary diagnosis. They don't necessarily have to be on treatment. They can be. We will look at dogs already on treatment, but they don't have to be. And specifically, we are looking at arthritis of the elbows, of the hips and of the stifle, and the stifle is the equivalent of the dog's knee. So dogs do get arthritis in other joints, um, but to try and keep the variability of disease down, we are focusing on the three most commonly affected joints. So it's the elbows in the front leg, and it's the hips and the stifle or the knee in the back leg. One of the dogs taking part in the research is Oscar, a black Labrador who belongs to Mike and Jean Pearson. 
Oscar had been diagnosed with arthritis a while ago, but how did Jean first notice a problem with him? Well, it was early on in 2008. Um, he started limping. We visited our own vet and um, he gave him medication initially and uh, examined him. And uh, it became apparent that there was something more than he could deal with. The vet took x-rays and then referred us to Liverpool to the small animal hospital. And he went there in October 2008 and was eventually given an operation in March 2009. And this was... an endoscopy to clean out the joints in his elbow. Right, okay. And and did that sort of help him? It did, initially, but it became apparent afterwards he was still limping that he did, in fact, have arthritis. Mm. And I think it was showing in other joints as well, in his hind legs as well. Yeah, yeah. So, so where did you go on to treatment-wise then? Um, well, he he was on anti-inflammatories with the vet. Uh, we tried two or three different ones. Um, and, uh, well, that was the story until mm. we heard about this trial. Yeah, yeah. So I guess the trial was sort of welcome news for you. It was indeed. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So where, where did you hear about it, Jean? We were given a cutting out of one of the dog magazines by Carol Thornley, the dog trainer, Mm. our dog trainer. Um, She said it might be of interest for Oscar with his problem, so we contacted them in Liverpool and were accepted for the trial. So what did that involve you having to do? Well, initially we had just visited and Oscar was given a thorough and complete examination uh, which included blood tests and heart monitoring, all sorts of things. Um, And also walking on a, I don't quite know how to describe this, it was a walkway with pressure points on it, Mm. a pressure mat. And it was designed to record how much pressure he was putting on each um, of his limbs each time he walked. And he had to walk up and down, oh, goodness me, 20 or 30 times, probably. Yeah. yeah. um, To get a good reading on each each paw. Mm. Um, So that was recorded. And we were told there and then that it showed a definite um, bias towards one of one of his legs. Yeah. Did Did you have to fill in the um, the questionnaire? Oh gosh, yes. I'd forgotten that. <laughs> <laughs> um, lots of questions in uh, set in different groups. Um, how basically? How did the um, did we think the limping was painful? If so, how painful? Did it um, prevent him from doing things? Was he reluctant to go for walks? 
um, all sorts of questions like that. And each time you had to say whether it was a, a little inconvenience or a major inconvenience or anything in between. Yeah, yeah. So uh, that was quite difficult because they wanted... Um, oh, initially we went... We had our first appointment um, and then I think it was each six weeks. Mm. But they were only interested in the last week of the how he'd behaved in the last week leading up to the appointment. Yeah. Um, so it was quite difficult trying yeah, to remember. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it was like doing a test. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, um, how did Oscar's how did Oscar's arthritis respond to this then? Um, well, we were quite concerned because the first part of the treatment was to wean him off, um, or at least stop the medication he'd been on. So he was completely without medication for the first um, two weeks, I think it was. Yeah. And we were concerned that he'd show a lot of discomfort and pain then, but he coped with that. Mm. Um, and then he was given um, the uh, the treatment, the particular drug mm. that the um, hospital wanted us to trial. Mm. Um, and uh, we were... Well, even in the first fortnight before he had that first treatment, we were interested to see that his temperament changed. Hmm. He was still limping. He was still presumably in pain as well. But he seemed to become a happier dog. Mm-hmm. And, um, in fact, all the time he was on the drug they, the particular drug they allocated to him, his temperament was, uh, he just seemed a happier dog. Wow. Which <laughs> really quite surprised us. Yeah. I suppose over a period of time before we went on the trials, he'd been on medication and presumably he'd been getting steadily lower. Mm. In, uh, he was less excitable, less less interested in things and all of a sudden we had our old dog back oh oh that's wonderful <laughs> that that's i mean it must have been a godsend for you that you know first of all that oh you know that we might have help but then when it had that effect on him marvelous yes yes it was it was it, it was uh, it was quite fascinating really as well as being exciting yeah yeah um so overall it was it was a positive experience. So if people are sort of thinking, you know, because the hospital is still looking for people to come and participate, aren't they? So overall, you know, you found it very positive. So you'd encourage people perhaps to go and, you know, if they if they think their dog needs it, to go and try it. Yeah. Well, I can't I can't see anything on the minus side. Everything for us was plus. We had the the benefit and the satisfaction of knowing that he was having a complete medical check. Um, At one point, we were concerned that he was drinking rather a lot. Mm. And we mentioned this, and they tested his urine and did a complete check-up on that. 
was found to be normal and we decided it was just it had just been rather hot dry weather mm. um or or it had been rather dry mm. um, so yes i mean they we were given every encouragement there and um well, it was just benefits as far as we could see. Yeah, excellent, excellent. Prior to sort of his um, arthritis, Oscar had been part of the Safe and Sound team, hadn't he? He'd led a, a lively life. Oh, yes, yes. We had him in 2005, and I, we think he was, he was a rescue dog. Hmm. We think he was probably a couple of years old then. Hmm. Um, and he was beautifully trained uh, but I took him along to uh, dog training really to form a bond some sort of a bond as he was a new doctor and when we went to Carol Thornley's training she asked if um, he'd like to take part in the safe and sound display team mm. so he was a member of that for Oh, I think he he did about three appearances at Crufts. Yeah, yeah. With the Safe and Sound team. But we've retired him from that now. Yeah. Well, he's had his, his moment on the green carpet in the light, hasn't he? Oh, yes. He's had yeah. his 15 minutes of fame. Absolutely. <laughs> Oscar is a lovely dog, and I'm so glad the research helped him. Ben is still looking for people to join in the research with their dogs and you can find out more at the liv.ac.uk website which we have a link to on the Dogcast Radio site. Hopefully we'll be talking to Ben again later in the year to see what the conclusions of the study are. Exercise provides many benefits for dogs including helping to reduce or eliminate common behaviour problems such as digging, excessive barking, chewing and hyperactivity. You're listening to Dogcast Radio on www.dogcastradio.com. There was a heartbreaking story in the news recently about a dog that had been allowed to get so overweight she was over three times as heavy as she should be. This was a border collie called Cassie who had been fed on a diet of junk human food instead of healthy dog food and the result is very sad to see. Staff at the shelter she has ended up in have to help her walk by supporting her with a sheet slung under her stomach. It's very sad, and what makes it even sadder is that I'm sure this has happened due to the owner's love for her dog. It may be misguided love, but I'm willing to bet it was love that led the owner to offer Cassie such an unsuitable diet. Food is such an attraction and an important issue for dogs. Is it any wonder when those sad, imploring eyes are turned on us, that we sometimes give in and share our food. I'm not saying they should never have human food, but I think the important thing is to realise when enough is enough. For example, when our Bichon star had TPLO surgery, she was a very unhappy little dog, and the only thing that tempted her to eat was a jacket potato with a little cheese grated onto it. This is not the most suitable food for a dog, but I was desperate to get pain medication into her, which had to be given on food. And so for a few days, she ate mainly jacket potato with cheese. Of course, another issue here is that dairy products can upset some dogs' digestive systems, but I already knew this was not the case with Star. 
After a few days, she would accept dog food again. We celebrated the fact that she was making progress on her recovery and Jacket Potato was off her menu. I would argue that we did the right thing. We were flexible, but we knew when enough was enough. We loved her enough to treat her like a dog. Love leads us to make all kinds of mistakes about our dogs, not just in the area of diets. We project onto them and imagine they will be unhappy in a crate, that they would rather veg out on the couch than be active, that they won't enjoy having rules, and sometimes that they'd rather be carried than walk. Now, all of these things may be true at times. Our dogs may well appreciate an afternoon snooze on the couch, but probably only after some exercise in the morning. The real trick is to know what is appropriate when, to realise when enough is enough. I also think love sometimes blinds us to our dog's faults. We don't see that he has a growing spare tyre around his middle instead of a nice lean rib cage. We turn a blind eye to the way she jumps up at visitors instead of sitting and waiting to be approached. We make excuses for why he snaps at other dogs in the park. The sad thing is that it's our dog that bears any consequences of our lack of insight. To treat a dog like a dog is to give it a happy life and meet its needs. But to do so, you have to understand those needs. So what does a dog need? Shelter, company, training, toys, a balanced diet and regular exercise, not sitting all day on the couch or a steady diet of just junk food. And so for poor, unhappy, massively overweight Cassie, I hope she finds an owner who is able to meet all her needs and who loves her enough to treat her like a dog. Don't feed your dog just before or just after intense exercise. This may predispose the dog's stomach to bloat or twist, especially for deep-chested dogs. Nikki Mustaki is an award-winning freelance writer, TV personality, pet industry expert and animal trainer. You heard her in episode 115 talking about the Westminster show. And now she's going to talk about a couple of other causes close to her heart. First up, the Pet Postcard Project. Well, I actually launched the Pet Postcard Project in 2007 at the Westminster Kennel Club show. I decided that would be a great place to do that. And what I was trying to do was basically start a fundraiser or a food raiser for my local hometown shelter in Miami, Florida, who I knew was struggling. I, I know the guy that runs this one rescue, and I knew he really needed funds and food. So I thought to myself, it's very difficult to ask people for money. And you see that all the time, like, please donate to this and please donate to that. And for me, that's kind of a tough thing. And pe when, pe when you hear it enough, people, you desensitize to it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yes. So I thought, what if I could do something where people could participate but all, but not have to spend any of their money, especially in this economy. Yeah. So what I did was I thought to myself, what if I could get people to send in postcards of their pet? So your pet on a photo and you write a little caption or something funny on there. And for as many of those come in, a certain amount of money or a certain amount of food, dog food, will come from a sponsor and will go to a certain shelter. In this case, the first shelter was my hometown shelter in Miami, Florida. Hmm. And, and it worked. It was it was like I had no idea what would happen, and all of a sudden the postcards came flooding in. And at this point, I have three dog food sponsors, and uh, I don't make any money from this. When I say sponsor, I mean gives a certain amount of dog food per postcard that comes in. Hmm. And every month, uh, one to two to three different new rescues uh, get the food. 
And I've received, I think, over 25,000 postcards at this point and over 117,000 pounds of food have have gone to shelter animals. It's a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. That's excellent. So just, you know, absolutely simply, the postcards get sent by people. That's all it costs them, a postcard of their pet. And that equates to donated food. Right. So someone, I mean, I, I, sometimes I open a box and it's someone who has done this with their Girl Scout troop or their school district or a mom that's gone and done it with a class. And there'll be, you know, 600 cards in a box and glitter will fly out. They're from, you know, kids. <laughs> and it's so beautiful, especially the, the children's to see their kind of like the drawings, you know, they, they'll draw a dog or something. And um, that could equal 600 pounds of food for a shelter. Wow. Right. And- yeah, and so you you vary which um, shelters you're you're benefiting with this, right? It varies every month, and actually, what what I've found to be really successful is allowing people themselves to choose the shelter. I don't choose the shelters anymore. Um, I get emails from people that say, "I would like my dog, you know, Buster, to be a spokes dog for our shelter where I got Buster." And so I, I'll say, okay, Buster, go for it. You know, get as many postcards as you can in. Here's your goal. Here's how much food I can I can uh, donate to you this month. And then they run it for a month and they put it on Facebook or Twitter or however they get it out there. Yeah, excellent. That's brilliant that you can actually, you know, give back to the, the shelter where you got your dog from. That's excellent. That's that's what I find most people want to do is that they, they have a dog they've gotten from a shelter and they want that dog to kind of represent the shelter um, and I think that's why it works because a lot of times if you're doing a charity, you know, the thing's chosen for you, the causes or whatever is chosen for you. And in this case, I'm saying you choose it, you know, and get your friends to help you. Yeah. Yeah. It's great. Yeah. And, and of course, as well, you know, you know, the dogs that's going to, you know, you, you, you can, or you will have seen them when you got your dog, you know, the people and how dedicated they are to the dogs. And you can actually see that helping your local shelter, can't you? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think it's it gets it gets people a little bit more in touch with. I mean, it feels more real mm-hmm. when you're able to choose a shelter and you're able to get your people from your hometown working on it, and they can see the dogs being helped right there. Yeah, it it, it does it does make a difference. Definitely, definitely. And and what do you do then with the postcards when, once you've got them? What uh, I scan them in. And most of them show up on the site. Um, I have some categories. There's there's a few little rules. They're not really rules, but kind of guidelines for the postcards. Mm. So I basically go through them. I choose all the ones that meet the guidelines, which is most of them. And I scan them. And I actually have volunteers that post them for me. Mm. And uh, and and every month I have a a big contest for the best postcards. I have like 62 awards at this point. It's a oh, lot. Excellent. Yeah. yeah it's a, a lot of work, actually, but yes. it's very rewarding. Yeah. So what, what are the categories for awards then? Uh, well, the categories for the cards are confessions. So it would be like your dog confessing something like, um, you know, I, I pooped on the carpet or something, but I, I, don't, I always blame my brother or something like that. <laughs> it would be like a dog looking at another dog or something. Yes. Um, advice. Like I get a lot of advice from dogs, like, like a dog looking up or a cat looking up and saying like, this is my cute face gets me as as many cookies as I want or something, or like, you know, if you put on this cute face, you get a lot of cookies. So advice, uh, wishes, which is like anything a dog or cat would wish or a person or dog or, 
you know, person would wish for a dog or cat. And um, the other one is, you know, you love your dog or cat when. Oh. And people, yeah, people will answer that. And it's very, very cute. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. So if people sort of um, want to get involved with this, what's the best way of them going about that? They should go to petpostcardproject.com. Uh, look around, you know, see what other people have done and just make some postcards and send them in. And a postcard could be as simple as just printing out a picture and writing your the words on the picture with a pen. Or it could be as complicated as getting pretty paper and stickers and pretty pens and glitter. And, you know, it depends on just how creative you are. And if, if you are into scrapbooking, a lot of scrapbookers really like this project. Yeah, yeah. So you, you can really go to town and be, in, as you say, indulge your creative side with this, or you know, keep it simple. But you know, you're doing good for some dogs that really need it. Yeah, and I think that's what make, makes people feel good too, because they know that if they sit down and they make ten postcards, and and the postcards have their pet on it, and they're going to see their pet on the site, so that's great right there. But um, I think they know when they're sending in ten postcards, they're going to be getting meals for at least like twenty dogs will eat. So it's it's really cool. Yeah. Yeah, excellent. Now, on the subject of dog food, um, you've been using dog food recently to highlight um, Nitro's Law. So can you give us a bit of background on what Nitro's Law and sort of what's Nitro's story? Absolutely, sure. Um, Well, Nitro was a Rottweiler that was left in a boarding facility for a while while his human family tended to a sick family member who was dying. And, um, you know, as we know, sometimes that has to happen. Sometimes you have to board your animal, especially a Nitro was a 110 pound Rottweiler. That's not, that's not the kind of dog that you could just leave with a neighbor for a few weeks, Mm. you know? So, uh, they, they boarded the dog at a place that they trusted. They knew the guy. And what happened was the guy did not feed the dogs for, for weeks and eight of them died. And I think another 12 were found in a starving condition. Um, who knows how something like that happens, but it happened. Mm. Unfortunately, unfortunately it happened anywhere, but really unfortunately it happened in the state of Ohio. And here in the States we have our animal cruelty laws run state by state how severe the law is. So Ohio is ranked 45th in our 50 states of how severe an animal cruelty law is considered. Mm. So in most states, that would be a felony, what the man did, which means the harsher punishment and jail time. But in Ohio, it was a misdemeanor because it was a first count. So basically, the guy walked away. And um, Nitro's mom is a very proactive woman, a very smart lady. And she did not want to take that. She did not want to put up with that. So what she did was she, uh, wrote a law, you know, she got lawyers and they wrote a law to go on the books in Ohio to make the penalties harsher for animal abusers. Mm-hmm. And what happened in 2010 was that it actually passed our house of representatives. But the next thing that needed to happen was to pass the Senate to become a law. And then it didn't. And it just died mm-hmm. at the end of 2010. So we needed, uh, this is when I came in and, and I heard about this and I spoke with Nitro's mom and they needed it to be reinstated into the house to get voted again, to then go to the Senate again. But no one was paying attention to it. And, and I spoke with her and she basically said that she believed that the law was dying because it didn't get any attention and it wasn't getting any attention. And so that's where I stepped in and I said, well, you know what? I'm in the media the pet media and I know how to get some stuff attention. Mm. So I said, 
you know what? I'll eat dog food every single day and post a video of it every single day on YouTube until Nitro's Law is reintroduced into the House of Representatives in Ohio. Mm-hmm. And that took all of 22 days. Wow. Yeah, it's amazing. And I really, really think that the national press exposure that it got from me doing this um, really helped. And, you know, it's kind of sad and silly, really, to think that someone has to go to that extreme to get any attention for a law that should be a no-brainer. But that's kind of the way it is. The media wants to see something sensational and so I said, well, let's give them something sensational. So it only took 22 days to get reintroduced, and now it needs to go to three committees and pass. So I said, well, I'll continue to eat dog food every single day until it, that happens. Yeah, yeah. Brilliant. It has got you a lot, you know, a lot of attention to, on Nitro's Law. And, um, you know, the other thing is the, the videos are very interesting. And, and, you know, I mean, there's a bikini one which is, is just so funny as well. And, you know, it doesn't bring people down. Um, they're not sort of sad and serious videos, although it's a sad and serious subject. But, you know, you're giving people something, you know, you're entertaining people as well as delivering a message, aren't you, here? Yeah, I mean, my theory is that nobody wants to watch something depressing every single day. We're living in really hard times. You know, um, the economy is poor here. We have wars everywhere. And you really want to look at that all day long. No. no, you know, pe- people want to laugh. They want to smile. They want to see something funny. And even though this is a very, very serious thing, I, I know that because I'm one of those people. I don't want to see something that makes me cry every single day. So I said, well, let me do something that's kind of entertaining and people will watch it. And in the meantime, if they want to know more about Nitro's Law, they can Google it. They can watch a serious video that there are serious videos out there about it. But yeah. let's just the first step is just getting people to know that it exists And so that's why I'm running around on the beach in my bikini, and I did a couple of (laughs) naked ones where I have the guitar in front of me, and I'm naked, and I'm eating dog food, because it's ridiculous. You know, it's so ridiculous. But I think people are more apt to share something like that than they would, uh, you know, a video where they're seeing images of these dead and starving dogs, which that does exist out there, and it is very important to see that. But people don't want to see that every single day. No. No. Well, I certainly, I mean, you, you have made it very memorable. And I have to say, having seen the one of you in the bikini, if that's what eating dog food does for you, then I'm seriously thinking of giving it a go. <laughs> it's the dog food diet. <laughs> Works. <laughs> we'll have, you, you'll be bringing out a DVD next, won't you? The dog food diet. <laughs> <laughs> I really should. That's a great idea. Well, you know, this dog food that I'm eating is called Lucky Dog Cuisine. It really is kind of like the Rolls Royce of dog food. So I don't want people thinking that I'm just opening a can of, you know, off-the-shelf dog food. Um, I don't think that would be healthy. And I don't think that's necessarily that healthy for your dogs either, right. you know, depending on what it is. Um, so this is really, really good dog food. My dogs love it. And... I'm also saying this as a caveat in case anyone joins me. I don't want anyone getting sick and then saying, well, Nikki told me to eat dog food. Now I'm in the hospital. So um, so this is the dog food I'm recommending because of that. But it, yeah. it is good stuff. Yeah. 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 You, you're right. You do have to be careful about what, you, what you're going to eat and make sure it is, you know, human grade. Um, yes. Okay. So um, we know there's the postcardproject.com website. Um, you're also on Facebook and Twitter, aren't you? People can um, access you there. Yes, unfortunately, I am obsessively on Facebook and Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> I know the feeling. 
<laughs> like the dogs are standing around, you know, with their leashes in their mouths going, is it time for, I'm like, I'm Facebooking I'm f- right now. Okay. Did yeah. you want to be walked? Oh, you need food? No. Yeah, no, it's, yeah. uh, it's, you know, it's fun. Yes, yes, it is. I and it's, enjoy it. it's a great way to connect with other people that love dogs as well. It really, really is. And I have gotten so many dogs adopted on there. And so has a lot of people. You know, I do active rescue here in South Florida. I split my time between South Florida and um, New York City. And when I'm in South Florida, I work a lot with my local shelter here. And I, I bring dogs home. And it's like totally against my condo association rules to do that. And I get in trouble. And I don't care. So I, I get, <laughs> I do it anyway. And, um, I, I network these dogs on Facebook and Twitter and they get adopted and I help mm. other people do that. And I actually got my dog Zoe, um, the, the latest one from seeing a Facebook post about, about my local shelter. I didn't see her on there, but I saw that they were doing like a big euthanasia, which they, they do a lot of euthanasia here at my shelter. Um, mm. because we have such a horrible overpopulation problem in South Florida. And so I saw that. And it said something like, they're going to kill 128 dogs today. And I just thought, no, it's going to be 127 because mm-hmm. I don't care. I'm, I'm going to go down there and get this dog. So I got this dog and I got her for my parents because they had kept saying, we want a white schnauzer. And I saw this white schnauzer and I got it. Mm-hmm. And uh, I got her and, and I, I took her to, straight to my parents and I said, hey, you guys, you've been saying you want a white schnauzer. I got you a white schnauzer. And they said, when did we ever say we wanted a white schnauzer? <laughs> Oh dear! <laughs> and I said, uh, I've heard you at least 15 times saying you wanted a white schnauzer. They're like, no, we never said that. <laughs> so I have no proof. But anyway, she's lovely and I'm, I'm so glad I got her. So I've kept her. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Do you know, I've, I've said it before, but dog women, you know, women that are into dogs, don't get between them and that what they want because, you, you know, you're going to get trampled and you are a great example of someone who knows how to help dogs and, and, you know, you go about doing it. Thank you so much. And, you know, you're totally right about that. You know, yeah. I mean, we will really stand up for our dogs and our pets in, in the face of pretty much anything. Nikki does things in style. And to celebrate having her schnauzer Pepper for 10 years, they cruised on the Queen Mary from America to Europe. And Pepper wrote about his adventures, which you can read in his Pepper in Paris blog. We have a link to that as well as to NikkiMustaki.com and Nikki's Facebook and Twitter feeds on the Dogcast Radio site. As a general rule of thumb, a dog weighing one kilogram should eat about 140 calories a day. For each additional half kilogram that the animal weighs, add 25 calories on. Hello and welcome to the Dogcast Radio News Desk. I'm Nick. And I'm Kate. Staff at the animal charity Blue Cross's Oxfordshire Centre in the UK worried that an abandoned deaf dog in their care would have trouble finding a new home. However, Springer Spaniel Alice is now living with her new family. And who better to train a deaf dog than a couple who are themselves deaf? Deaf couple Marie Williams and Mark Morgan spotted Alice on the Blue Cross website and fell in love with her. Not despite, but because of her lack of hearing. Alice has settled in well and has already learned to respond to sign language commands to sit down, sit up, come and roll over. Do you think your dog senses your mood and empathises with you? Well, you could be right according to research done at the University of Porto in Portugal. In fact, it may well be that dogs have human-like social skills that even chimps don't possess. 
In the research tests, dogs displayed behaviour indicating they were upset when their people pretended to be distressed. Although if the people pretended to be having a heart attack or to have had a physical accident, the dog merely became confused, suggesting that the dogs are not relying on visual clues alone. The researchers suggest three reasons behind dogs' ability to empathise with humans. Firstly, that dogs evolved from wolves, who are believed to empathise with each other. Secondly, that the process of domestication caused those empathetic abilities to become tuned towards humans. And thirdly, that selective breeding has honed those abilities. Something that upsets some humans is mice coming into the house. But one dog who can help in this area is Archie who has become the UK's first mouse detection dog. A Welsh pest control company has spent 12 months training Springer Spaniel Archie to detect mice. Apparently, Archie is able to indicate to his handler where the mice are entering a building or where they are nesting, making dealing with them much easier. Let's just hope that cats don't get to hear that dogs are moving in on what has until now been a feline area of speciality. We all know that dogs have a tendency to swallow things that they shouldn't. So when Karen Woolley from Nottinghamshire in the UK lost her diamond ring and couldn't find it anywhere around the house, she began to suspect that her three-month-old Cocker Spaniel cross miniature poodle Barney had swallowed it. But how could she be sure? Well, Karen's solution was to get out the family metal detector and wave it over the dog. Well, the device beeped, indicating metal, and sure enough, an X-ray at the vets confirmed that the ring was in his digestive system. Due to the large size of the ring, which was a family heirloom over 100 years old, with three large diamonds that could have easily damaged the pup's intestines, and the fact that Barney was such a small dog, the vet decided to operate. Thankfully, both Barney and the ring are as good as new, and Karen would probably not find anything else quite as valuable with that metal detector. Talking of amazing finds, a dog was recently spotted by the Japanese Coast Guard just over a mile off the coast. Incredibly, the two-year-old dog, called Ban, had been adrift on the roof of her house, which was washed out to sea when the waters retreated after the devastating tsunami. After more than three weeks marooned on the roof, the Coast Guard rescued Ban, and in another stroke of luck, her owner recognised her from watching TV footage of the rescue, and the two have now been reunited. And that's all from us on the Dogcast Radio News Desk. Goodbye. Young dogs, particularly large breed puppies, shouldn't go on long runs until around 12 to 15 months of age. We've talked a lot about food in this episode, and with Easter just around the corner, many of us will be eating chocolate eggs. Do remember that chocolate, as well as many other human goodies, can be poisonous for dogs to eat. For more information, check out the article on the Dogcast Radio site about holiday food that's dangerous for dogs. Till next time, look after yourselves and your dogs. Thanks for listening to Dogcast Radio, available from www.dogcastradio.com. That's D-O-G-C-A-S-T radio.com if you'd like to get in touch with us and wherever you are in the world we'd love to hear from you you can do so in a variety of ways by phone from the uk you can contact us on 0121-288-0922 from the us you can contact us on our american number which is 315-849-2022 
from any other country, you'll need your international exit code and then 44121-288-0922. You can contact us on Skype with the ident Dogcast Radio. That's all one word, Dogcast Radio. By email, you can contact me on julie at dogcastradio.com. When contacting us by email, if you have the facilities, please record your questions or comments and send them to us as an audio file. That way we can include them directly in our programme. We can accept most formats, for example, WAV, MP3. All these methods of contacting us can be found on our website, which is www.dogcastradio.com. And as ever, the final word goes to Jenny. What happens to a dog that keeps eating bits off of the table? He gets splinters in his mouth.